Hi there, and welcome to the Praying Christian Women podcast. I'm Jamie Hampton, and I am really excited to be here today with a fellow podcaster, host of the Grace Enough podcast, Amber Cullum. Amber, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me, Jamie. Well, I'm especially excited because when I saw some of the topics that you speak on, a couple of them really stood out to me because it's it, there are topics that I've really been thinking about a lot and trying to apply to our family, things about rest and Sabbath and just cultivating like a thankful spirit in your home. And I'm just, I'm, I'm very excited to talk with you about those things and about your podcast and get to get to meet you finally. Yeah, I know. It's always nice to connect with other podcasters, particularly like you're in Anchorage and I'm in Raleigh. So we're really like on different sides of the nation. So that's kind of fun. It is fun. I grew up on the East Coast and I went to school in Virginia at Virginia Tech and we have family in North Carolina. So yeah. we're like, it's, it's kind of neat to, to get to make right. that connection. Yeah. Well, before we get started, we like to ask all of our guests, what is your favorite prayer closet? Where do you go to feel close to God? Yeah, I mean, I am not a person who has just um, like one particular place. You know, I, I do think there's something incredibly special about having um, a closet that's a little bit more private. But I will say every morning um, between 5 and 5.30, I get up and I have a little place on my, you know, couch at the end, close to an end table with the lamp and that's very much where I meet with God. I don't, I could have that any place, but there becomes something very special about a tradition or a routine. And so for me, most of the time, it's in that place. Um, in the quiet of the morning before the kids wake up, I meet with God there. And I also have to say, you know, just Brother Lawrence has the book, Practicing the Presence of God. And so in my latter, you know, the last probably five to 10 years, I've really been working hard on doing that, practicing his presence, no matter where I am. And so that has changed a little bit of the way that I do prayer. I love that. I, I also, I love that book. And I mm -hmm. feel like for me personally, the idea of getting up at 5.30 in the morning sounds so great. I have not been super successful at a routine every single day or, you know, and I, do you consider yourself a morning person or did you cultivate that discipline and make that part of your day? I'm just curious. I mean, I think that's an excellent question because uh, when we, when I, I also speak on comparison a lot and this idea of don't adopt people's practices, but adopt mm -hmm. their principles, meaning, um, yes, I am a morning person. I've always been a morning person. It is at times I've had seasons where it's hard to wake up really early, but for the most part, it is far easier for me to be up at five or five 30 in the morning than it is for me to be up and focused at 10 30 at night. And so, you know, you got to do what works for you. I think the biggest thing is finding a time that you can do it consistently. Um, and for some people, that may be different times every day. Uh, but yeah, for me, the morning has just always worked. That is so true. And I think just the idea of trying to stuff yourself into a box of what you think the perfect prayer looks like or what the really, you know, a good Christian would wake up at this time or right. a good Christian would be able to stay up at this time to pray or, you know, and, and being able to really embrace how God has created you and what are yes. your rhythms? What are your strengths? What are the, the natural 
spaces in your day that you can fill with prayer rather than trying to cram it into a place that isn't, you know, trying to hammer yeah, the, the square like a peg. Failure because you didn't do what we quote unquote think good Christians do. It's just, you know, I feel like the enemy is so quick to use things like that to make us just feel guilt and shame when it's like, oh, there's no, no, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says you must do this or you are bad. I mean, as far as in spending time with God, the biggest thing is he's asking you to do it. Um, and so that's what, that's the part I think we really need to focus on is actually the doing it part, not when. That is so true. Yeah, that is very true. But yeah, I also think that um, when you talked about the lighting, I love the, um, especially in Alaska when we don't get total darkness, but we get pretty much like just moderate daylight for several hours a day. It's never super bright. And in the winter, there's just something about a certain kind of lighting, like a favorite lamp or yes. a candle or something that just creates this atmosphere of sanctuary, you know, and, and worship. So we'll probably get into that a little bit later too, but well, I have been, so what I've really been thinking about a lot lately has been what it means for me to be the woman of the house. So my influence on the rest of my family. And some of that comes from the fact that I have not walked this season really well in some ways. Like I'm sure everyone has the places where they've fallen short. And when I start to fall short, when I start to let the stresses of schooling at home and not feeling like I'm doing it the right way, I get frustrated, I get short with the kids, I see that trickle down. I see it just almost immediately trickle down into the rest of my home. And so um, just this idea that our attitudes and our actions trickle down to the people that are in our home and, and the people that we're surrounded with. So I know that that's a topic that you're passionate about is, is just setting the tone of gratitude for your home. So could you talk about how you've experienced that to be true in your own life and in your own home? Yeah, well, it's interesting because it's I, I'm passionate about it because I don't do it well and because I have to be so intentional with it. And so I always just want to preface it by saying this is not something that I began speaking about or really honing in on because it's something that my family or in particular myself does well. Um, I am very much a grumbler by nature. I mean, I'm a half I mean, you know, the glass half empty kind of person. And just like what you said, it has impacted my husband before we had children um, and it impacts my family now. And so I say that because years ago, before we had kids, when I would get on what I call the runaway train, which is, you know, one little thing happens and all of a sudden, before you know it, I am just spiraling out of control of, well, there's this, this, and this, and, you know, just grumble, 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 like nothing's right. And I mean, most, not, I don't want to say most women, a lot of women who struggle with this, as soon as these words come out of my mouth, they're like, yes, you know, that resonates. How do I get from this one little thing happens to all of a sudden I've spent the whole day just complaining. And my husband would say, tell me five things you're thankful for. And my goodness, it used to just infuriate me. Right. I'm sure that's exactly what you needed right then. Well, maybe it's what you needed, I mean, but I'm it sure was. it wasn't what you wanted to hear. That's exactly right. Because we want somebody else to wallow in that or yes. listen or certainly not point out that we're just grumbling. But I was. And 
it can become such a practice that you don't even realize that you're in that state of grumble, grumble, grumble. Until you hear your voice recorded back to you. (laughs) Not that I've been there or anything, but you know, like if the kid's taking a video of something else and you hear your voice in the background and you think, do I sound like that? Really? Please, Lord, please say it's not true. Yeah. And I mean, it's a, when I say it's a constant struggle, even though it's a journey of a gratitude journey that I've been on for almost 12 years now, it is still a struggle. Mm. But I try to look back over um, this last 10 to 12 years that I've been much more intentional with gratitude. And we'll talk a little bit about that and try to focus on the progress because it can sometimes feel like, for example, I have a 10, eight and five-year-old. And last night we were on the bed. My husband has been out of town and I'm asking them all at bedtime, you know, tell me what you're thankful for, which is a very normal routine for us. And everybody is just all over the place. I mean, this one's, you know, just talking about something else. And this one's talking about something else. And I mean that the, my reaction was frustration and anger. Mm -hmm. And I spewed that out on them so quick. And then I'm beating myself up later because it's like, wow, haven't you made any progress? And once again, the train starts just powering ahead to a point where I had to just stop myself and say, okay, the thing that you can do right now is apologize to your youngest son for the words that you spoke to him in anger. And you can remember that tomorrow God's mercies are new and then you have to move on because wallowing in it does nothing. And so that is where I've seen it impact my kids is I react. I am a reactor in my house. I like to say we all have very big feelings, um, but God has been doing a work in my life for over a decade in this area. And to say that no progress has been made is really taking glory from him, right? Because he has done a work in me. I'm not perfect. Um, I'm not where I desire to be. And my kids would be very quick to tell you that. But they would also be quick to tell you, yeah, we do consistently say what we're thankful for in the evenings and around the dinner table. And you know, we try to come back around to this practice of um, what are we thankful for in order to stop some of the negativity. So I know that's a little bit of a roundabout answer to your question. um, But the biggest way I have seen it impact is that when I'm being negative, they're being negative. Um, When I'm reacting to their really just being a kid, their playfulness negatively, that's just teaching them to react that way too. And so that's, that's the biggest thing that I would say. No, that was a perfect answer. I thought that was great. And I mean, I just, every, everything you said, I'm just nodding my head thinking, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And it just seems like it's the times when I'm sitting down to read the Bible with them or pray and they do something and, and it's just, it's all, it would be comical if it weren't so sad that, you know, then I, I go have a mommy temper tantrum. Oh, yes as I'm trying to teach them about how to be more like Jesus, you know, it's, it's just very ironic, but if you can't laugh at yourself and if you can't be, like you said, be gentle with yourself and say, you know what, I'm going to go to them and say, I'm sorry, because I think that in itself can be one of those ways, not that the words can be taken back, not that they're not impressed by, you know, not like we don't have to keep working on becoming more self-controlled, but even in that sinning against them or against God. I think God can take that and use that as a really valuable 
teachable moment for them that when we mess up and we will mess up, we say we're sorry and we start over. And I just, I have to pray that they're going to take that away and that that is going to be, you know, more powerful than whatever negative influences I've dropped down along the way. But yeah. Well, and that's the thing I'll say to my it's it's a perfect time to actually talk to your kids about the grace of God. Yeah. When you say, I'm sorry, I messed up, um, and I'm going to mess up again, but this is exactly what God does. You know, I need Jesus as much as you need Jesus because he's really the only one who is perfect and forget can forgive. And so... It's a great way to say, you know, the gospel is active in my life just as much as it's active in your life. And so that took me a while to learn that humility because I didn't grow up in a home where I heard I'm sorry much. It was just kind of buck up and um, move on and stuff. Um, And so it's been a great way to just be tender towards them and let them know, man, I am so imperfect and in need of God's grace and love, too. Yeah, no, that is such a powerful thing. It's I think that's a way to kind of rob the enemy of his foothold in those situations because it does. Once you set that that tone, it kind of resets. In our family, a lot of times we'll say, "Can we just can we just hit the reset button?" Yes. Because you just feel it's it's like the Ring of Power in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it's like there's just this this, and I think it is a spiritual battle sometimes yes. where there's just a spirit of quarreling and mm-hmm. ugliness that just sort of seems to make its way through everybody. And finally, we're like, "Okay, hang on, let's let's just hit the reset." And That's and right. saying you're sorry is a great way to hit the reset to flip that script and, and to start moving in a different direction. Yes, absolutely. So um, what are some ways, like specific ways that you have found that a daily practice of gratitude can transform us as individuals? Yeah. So really, like I said, it's a slow and steady change, I feel like. So if I look back at how quick I would be to grumble you know, years and years ago versus now, what I see now is I can stop myself. Number one, I can identify when the thoughts are going negative towards grumbling so much quicker than I used to be able to. Um, And part of that is because it's not so habitual as it used to be. Um, And so being able to identify them more quickly and then being able to change the direction of your thoughts. And I I like to say, you know, I'm a physical therapist by trade, and I don't do that anymore. But I remember when we studied like neurophysiology, and just neuroanatomy of the brain, and how basically thoughts can make tracks in your brain. So if you think about it, like a roadway, a muddy road, the more you drive over that muddy road, the deeper the tracks get. And so you can get really stuck in that. And sometimes in our brain, we lay really healthy tracks and those things are good. Things like connections to our parents, um, you know, safe places. Those are really good connections and tracks to make. But sometimes we make these tracks that are really bad habits, things like grumbling. Um, But those things can be reversed. It just takes a lot of practice, just like anything else. You have to lay down new tracks in your brain. And so 
as you began to practice um, over and over again, maybe for you, it could be like for me, I, I finally had to set out a journal on my kitchen counter where every day I wrote 10 things that I was thankful for. And I did this for about probably six or seven months every day. And it would be simple things from, I'm thankful for toothpaste this morning. I mean, that seems so trivial, but those things matter because it can also be something as big as, you know, I'm thankful for the creation, for God's creation outside my window that I see every day. Um, I'm thankful for financial provision. It can be those things, but any little thing uh, is worth saying I'm grateful for. And when you start paying attention to it, then when your thoughts shift somewhere else, you can be so quick to come back to this place of, okay, what am I thankful for? Let's focus on what I do have versus what I don't have. And so that's been the biggest change is the quickness to shift from one mindset to another mindset. And I only think that can happen if you choose every day to actually put some type of gratitude into practice. Absolutely. And, you know, I think sometimes we over, I, I don't want to say over, I wanna, I'll say over spiritualize. I think we over spiritualize some of our bad habits to the point of saying, God, take this spirit of grumbling away from me and leave it at that rather than partnering with God and saying, yes. okay, yes, we need the power of the Holy Spirit because in my flesh, I will never get out of this rut. But with God's help and through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can become more disciplined. I can walk with him, but we do have part to play in the partnership. And I just, I, I love that picture of those ruts being worn in our brains because I, I come upon that in, in my own life, just certain things where I think, okay, how can I change this pathway or, you know, how can I make a new rut that's good that can that's right. kind of, you know, cover up that bad rut, yeah. um, let that bad rut fill in a little bit more. But I think for you to recognize that the first step in progress isn't being perfectly, you know, gracious all the time and having this, this spirit of gratitude all the time, but it's recognizing. And I, that's mm -hmm. so important. Recognizing when we're starting to grumble. And for myself, I've, I've definitely seen that in my own life as like, if I can't necessarily say that I have fewer mommy temper tantrums, I can at least say they are, I, I catch them quicker. That's right. And yeah. that's progress. And that's Thank sanctification. I mean, I think we all want to think we just arrive like, okay, we used to do this and now we no longer do this and we arrive, but it really is more about a journey. We, we're not going to arrive to full perfection until we meet Jesus face to face. And yeah. sometimes for me, staying focused on that reality is like, okay, you're on this journey of life. Just keep asking God to help you to walk in the right direction, um, close to him, knowing that he actually is doing a good work in me. Yeah. And I mean that, you know, sometimes Alana, my co-host and I will talk about prayer as exercise. And the fact that if you're distracted in prayer, you get drawn away from prayer. Think of it as exercise. The act of bringing yourself back into God's presence is strengthening your prayer muscles. That That's in right. itself is part of the journey. And it's the same, I think, for this idea of cultivating gratitude. Yes. 
even when you fall away from it, bringing yourself back is an act of exercise. You're making progress just in that act of relying on God and pushing through. You're becoming stronger for it. And I don't know, I would argue, and it's my opinion, but I would argue that those struggles are necessary for for remembering that we're relying on God. I think of Paul when he talks about the thorn in his flesh and we don't know what that was, but you know, God said, my power is made perfect in your weakness. And so Paul delights in his weaknesses so that the power of Christ can rest in him. And, you know, for us, we can not that we want to be less grateful or more grumbly, but we can delight in the fact that we have a God that we can go to and, and that there is that opportunity to lay that at his feet again and again and again, because well, that could be good. About, you know, like with prayer and how you exercise it, I will never forget my mother-in-law saying, you know, Thanksgiving actually is an act of prayer. You are, yeah. uh, and it's easy to forget that sometimes. Oh, it's like, we're just, we're just saying we're thankful to make us feel better. No, right. it's actually a way of communicating with God, our father. I mean, he asks us over and over again or commands us really to give thanks, give thanks in all circumstances. You know, that can be something that, oh, we just get so irritated about because how can you give thanks in all circumstances? And I'm talking about like really difficult things. Oh yeah. And I love, you know, something that Ruth Bell Graham says, and she's like, you know, I may not, I don't know the exact quote, but I may not be able to give thanks for all circumstances, but giving thanks in all circumstances. And so that's a totally different mindset of, you know, you can still give thanks to God for aspects or certain things in your life, even in the middle of some really hard things. And I've seen people do that. Um, and I do think that it it is an act of worship. It is an act of prayer and communion with God. Well, that, that brings us to, to the next question I wanted to ask you anyway. It's a great segue. Um, what would you say to the woman that is listening now that is really wants to stay disciplined in daily gratitude, but is, is in the middle of something very hard and, and can't even bring herself to form the words to talk to God? Would it, what would that yeah. first step be to yeah, well, get out of that place? I don't know whoever's listening, what your heart may be. But when I started daily gratitude, I was a new mom and, um, I was in a really dark place. I had some postpartum depression, um, a baby that didn't sleep. And, and if you've, you know, if you are a mom, um, if you've had a difficult baby, you know, that you, it's hard to imagine that it could ever be that dark, but if you've been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, I pray you never are. Um, But that is when I just finally was like, oh my gosh, something's got to give here. And so I would encourage and challenge you to put that notebook out somewhere visible. Like stop worrying about your counters being dirty. Stop worrying about if somebody comes into your house and sees the oversized post-it note on your wall and Begin to fix your eyes upon what you're grateful for in the sense of when it's in front of you a lot of times and you have an actual, you know, writing utensil there and you're mindful of it because it's in your face, it will begin to change your perspective. It will not change your circumstances per se, 
but I remember it just giving me life in those moments, even if it was only for a minute. And if you're in the midst of darkness, you know what I'm talking about. Um, that feels like, I, I don't know, it feels hopeless uh, when you're in it, but really when you even get 30 seconds to a minute of relief, there is restored hope. And part of that with gratitude is you're coming back to the Father and saying, okay, God, I'm thankful today for this baby that is, you know, snuggled up on my shoulder right now, peaceful, even if it's only for five minutes. Um, I'm thankful that in spite of this, I have, you know, for me, it was a warm home to be in. And it just resets your mind. And it may be something that you have to do multiple times during the day. And so even when you don't feel like it, I promise just the act of writing something down as you begin to see these reprieves from what feels like a hopeless situation, you'll be encouraged to keep going with it. And that was something else my mother-in-law said when she was really a young mom. She's the one who put the large post-it note up on the wall because they didn't have any money and she was really struggling and her husband worked all the time. And she said, I needed to fix my eyes on what I did have versus what I didn't have. And when she spoke that to me, it really put words to why I was doing what I did 10 years ago, writing it down on pieces of paper in front of me in my kitchen. Mm -hmm. I needed to fix my eyes on what I did have instead of what I didn't. Um, and so that, you know, maybe it's that you drive a lot and you just need that index card sitting up on your um, dashboard or notes in your iPhone, but something visible for you to see and to begin writing down I believe makes a difference. Yeah, I, I think there's a spiritual transaction that takes place. There's just a connection with God that happens when we do it. And, you know, there's the secular um, practice of gratitude. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's become really popular to have a gratitude journal in secular right. circles also. But when we are doing it as Christians, as an act of worship, to God, I think there is just a, a spiritual connection to God that happens. And maybe even for people that do it as a secular practice, they're, they're connecting with God in some way through that gratitude. I, I don't know, but I know as a Christian, we are actually, you know, there, I think there's something that happens in us. And I think there's, there's just that, like you said, that, that moment of hope in connecting with God that, yeah. that, can transform us and maybe become addictive as you go. You know, maybe you start seeking that feeling and that yes. hope and yeah. it becomes easier and easier along the way as you yeah. feel those rewards. I think so. Yeah. Well, we've talked about gratitude transforming our homes and, you know, another practice that you and your family have introduced is a Sabbath rhythm. And I'm really excited to hear about what that looks like in your home. And I love that you say rhythm because that, like we were talking about with the prayer practices, you know, not a discipline necessarily or a, um, you know, hard and fast schedule of Sabbath, but a rhythm. I just, I love that wording because it feels like it can be adopted by any family yeah. in a way that is tailored to them and, and accomplishes something deeply personal. So 
What does that look like for you and your family? Can you talk to us about that? Absolutely. Yeah, it was um, a, January of 2019. Oh, no, maybe it was January of 2020. Yes, January of 2020. Gosh, the, the year that never ends, 2020, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, that we began putting into practice this idea of Sabbath, and we decided to do that after really engaging with um, family teams, which is a ministry ran by uh, Jeremy, the Priors and uh, the Bethkeys, if anybody's interested in looking that up, and they practice regular Sabbath. And we noticed, okay, this one family has five kids, and they're older, and this other family has two, three children, and they're younger. And they've been able to put this into practice, and we'd listened to a couple of talks they had done and read some things. And we realized, like, okay, we really want to put this into practice because um, a couple of reasons. We don't know how to rest in our society, like truly rest, not sit down on the couch and turn on the TV for five minutes, um, but like really commune with the Father through rest. And as we began to read a little bit more about Sabbath, it became kind of peculiar to us as like, why did we ever stop doing Sabbath? And, you know, part of that came along as, you know, Jesus saying, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. But. The Sabbath is something that was created for us um, because God knew we needed rest. And Dr. Matthew Sleeth, you know, says it's one of the only commandments that, not one of the only, the only commandment that God actually applies to himself. That's so, really, you know, yeah, that's pretty powerful. He created for six days and then he rested. And so he has modeled this for us. And it wasn't because he wasn't, um, you know, he was physically tired or uh, he wasn't powerful enough or he was inadequate. I think he rested because his work was complete. So now it's time to rest and enjoy it. And so in our family, we notice how hard of a time we have enjoying it. Um, life, we, you know, it's like, you work, 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 and you pause for a brief second, and then you work on your home all weekend. And my husband, who helps run a company, I mean, he just was burning it at both ends and never fully rested. And so we decided that we would kick off our Sabbath at 6 o'clock on a Friday night with a Shabbat meal, very much. Um, the meal itself is not like the Jewish meal, but the act of kicking off Sabbath with a meal is very much Jewish. And that's just saying, okay, it's our time of rest. We've worked hard all week and now we're going to kick it off with a celebrate celebratory meal. It's nothing super fancy, but we do have like these glasses that we only use on Friday night and the kids get a special drink. They don't get all week. I mean, it's chocolate milk, but for them, it's setting aside that this time is different from all other times of the week. And I've asked this question when I've been interviewed before is when you think back as a child, some of your most memorable moments with your family typically end up being something that was repetitive, whether that's mm -hmm. something you did on Christmas morning, holiday traditions, mm -hmm. maybe a summer vacation that you took. Well, yeah, you don't want things to become so habitual, you know, like communion that you just forget what it's about, but there is a richness you know, in the liturgical type of practice, something that's repetitive, it solidified, you know, I can still sing the doxology because I grew up in a 
church where every single Sunday we sing the doxology, right? That's right. And so you don't learn to do those things unless you actually do them. And now I have very fond memories, even though when I was singing it for the umpteen years that I sung it, I really had no earthly idea what it was talking about. Well, that's the idea with this Shabbat meal. And so our kids just kind of know this is kicking off our rest. And we bless, you know, our kids during that time. We speak the Arianic blessing, you know, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. So we speak that over them. And then we just have a meal, a simple meal where we're together. We play games after that. And we actually do our rest from six o'clock on Friday until noon on Saturday. So we have not adopted a full 24 hours um, for several reasons. But, you know, we like I said, we have a 10, 8, and 5-year-old. And so our practice of rest is not perfect. Sometimes it is not restful. But it is, again, like gratitude. We're putting the practice in place now in hopes of progress being made and also to introduce our kids to something that hopefully will carry on into their lives where they say, and we say, okay, we've worked all week. Now it's time to do some restful activities. I can get the laundry done through the week. I just have to plan for that. I can get um, the housework done during the week or for us, Sunday is a work day. We go to church, but that's our work day because mm-hmm. we do our resting on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And so it's really things about, you know, it's not pharisaical in the sense of um, you must do this, this, and this, or you're going to be in trouble. No, it's what brings rest to me? What brings rest to my husband? What brings rest to my children? And we've asked ourselves and each other these questions. And so for me, it may be on Saturday morning, a walk or a run alone in nature. I also really enjoy one-on-one time with one of my kids. It gives me a chance to connect with them. So we may go to breakfast, hang out, play a game, something like that. And so because we have such young kids, my husband and I kind of switch back and forth on Saturday mornings doing some of those things that we enjoy and that actually bring us physical rest and help us to connect ourselves back to the living God. And a lot of times we don't do it unless we are intentional about slowing down. And so that's what our Sabbath rest looks like. That is the, the really powerful thing about that is this idea. I'm picturing going through these things and just thinking about the weekend. And I sometimes consider rest things that aren't really rest. So I think, okay, well, I have a day of rest. Yeah. Okay. Well, we rest on Saturdays at at certain times, but I I'm always busy in my brain and I think we can create a sense of busyness in our minds that never goes away. And I'm guilty of that. I live a lot of my life in my own head and I'm always thinking about what I haven't done. You know, like Yes. You had talked about being a glass half empty person. I tend to be in general a glass half full kind of person, but when it comes to myself, I'm very glass half empty. I'm always mm. focusing on my my shortcomings, my failures, my perceived failures, what I need to do that I haven't done rather than looking at the things. That, so basically, when I have free time, I'm always thinking 
what the next thing is that I need to be accomplishing so that I can gain value, you know, so that my inner yeah. critic will approve of me. I was or, getting ready to say, you have a strong inner critic. Me too. Yeah. Mine has a name. <laughs> What's her name? Irene. Irene. <laughs> <laughs> that I need to do it. I need to give, I need to give mine a name. It really does help because like my best friend from Florida will say, okay, pipe down Irene. You know, she knows when I'm, getting... Oh, that is too much. <laughs> I love it. She'll send me a text message. Okay. Irene's out of control again. And so you know, <laughs> oh. it, it just things like that just take the weight off a little bit, right? Like they it, do it brings you back to, oh my gosh, it's noticeable to everyone. Stop. Yes. Stop the train. Oh, that's good. Oh. Yeah, that is really good. <laughs> I didn't mean to get off topic. No, no, that was perfect. I love that. But yeah, but when, when I'm in this situation of, of what I think is rest, I'm never really resting. And there was just mm -hmm. like, as you were describing this, okay, I just, we play a game with the kids. I can do the laundry another day. It really, it, it just gave me this sense of peace and this burden was lifted off of my shoulders. Like, what if I had a day like that yes. where I really just, or even a half a day like that, or, you know, yeah. however many hours it would, um, it, it would really transform our family's interactions and our family yes. life. Now, do you set rules that there's no technology during these times or do you consider, cause you know, that's the other thing is sometimes as a family, we'll watch movies together. Yeah. And I don't know, would you consider that rest or do you not because it's not connecting with each other? What are your technology yeah, thoughts? Mean, so it's interesting. I did, um, and I'm going to answer that question, but I did do a series on this where just, Justin Widmull Early has a book called The Habits of Purpose. And I interviewed him for my podcast, talking a little bit about Sabbath because he has some Sabbath practices. And then Dr. Matthew Sleeth, who wrote 24-6. Those are two books I would definitely um, recommend for this topic. And Sacred Rest is the third one. Dr. Sandra Dalton um, speaks yes. wonderfully about how to actually identify the areas of rest where you're deficient. Because it's yes. not just physical rest. A lot of areas of rest um, that we need. And so I say that because for me... I need to turn off technology because it is a huge distraction and in a lot of ways, a life, what I refer to as a life sucker um, mm -hmm. in my life. Now, not always, but it can become a way that it's just the distraction. So for my husband and I, we try really hard to turn it off. Um, that does not mean that as a family, sometimes on Friday night, instead of playing a game, we may choose to watch a family movie together. Um, and there's flexibility in that, right? Like, right. it doesn't have to be this, I will never do this, or I'm a failure if I do this. But I think in general, turning off technology is good for us because we're so inundated and tempted with the just constant information that when you actually do turn it off, um, for us, when we first began Sabbathing on Saturdays, it's like you start getting kind of bored after a couple of hours. And yeah. there's almost this depressive type of feeling that comes over you because it takes time to actually learn to be quiet mm -hmm. and to enjoy nature for more than 20 minutes again. And all the things. And so I can't have technology. I don't want to say I can't have it. I rarely can have technology on without being tempted to work. And I bet you know, as a podcaster that 
I mean, there's just something about it. Like, even if I'm just listening to a podcast out on my run. So for example, I'll keep technology off. But if I go out on a run on Saturday morning by myself, um, sometimes I'll be in the quiet for a little while just to kind of chill out. But I'd like to maybe listen to a sermon or something like that. I'm still tempted by the end of the run to like hop on social media and see if anybody's engaged about the podcast. The temptation is just so ripe. It is. Um, and so for us, we turn it off. But for our kids on Saturday morning, when they wake up, they still each get to watch one of their shows because that's not restful for them, but we're just not there yet. Um, we want rest, my husband and I. When, they, when they're up and they want our attention the whole time, it's not restful. And so for us, we have chosen at this point in our lives for that hour and a half when they watch their shows for us to be doing something that really helps us to Sabbath well. And then after that, it may be that one of us take one of them out for a breakfast or my husband may take my oldest out for a bike ride or all of us together may go on a hike. So again, it's not a hard and fast rule, but I do think trying to turn off technology is um, a really good practice for all of us to actually get rest. Well, it sounds like the key to your Sabbath and to anyone wanting to do this is talking about it and setting your goals, setting your priorities, because it's going to be different for everyone. That's right. You know, and even as you're talking about this, I'm thinking of some of the things that I would put into it. And I know that one of the things would be engaging with my kids in a non-working way. Like I'm engaging with them all the time about school. Um, I'm engaging with them all the time about their needs and meeting their needs in different ways. Mm -hmm. But I find it really hard to just stop what I'm doing and play with them or hang out with them for with no agenda. Watch them do something they like doing or play with them in, in a way that they like playing. And, and so I know that that would probably be one of mine. And like you said, with your husband, what, what do you guys do together that brings you rest? And those would be a whole, that would be another set of That's right. questions. So I think that seems like kind of the anchor of, of what you're doing though, is before you go into it, it's not just like, all right, guys, we're going to rest. And it's this Mm-mm. abstract It doesn't concept. naturally happen. <laughs> right. You've got a plan for rest. That's right. Yeah. And be very intentional about what, you know, there, there's a quote out there that says, if you work with your mind all week, you may Sabbath, want to Sabbath with your hands. If you work with your hands all week, you may want to Sabbath with your mind. And so wow, something that's that, profound. Yeah. And I can't, I mean, it's in a couple of books, but it was like, you know, I, I can't remember who said it. Um, you, you will probably be able to find the quote if you look it up, but that was what my husband found early on was, you know, he's an engineer. And so a lot of times on the weekend, people may perceive that he's working because he's out in the yard doing stuff. And for a lot of people, that is work. And sometimes it is for him. So it really is a self-evaluation of saying, am I working right now? Or is this something that's bringing rest to my soul? And for him being out and, you know, gardening a little bit, woodworking is very restful for him mm -hmm. because that's not what he does. And so he really can connect with God in a different way when he starts to use his hands and, you know, work in that way, or it's not work, but how some people would perceive that as work. And so that's the three, you know, we have three questions that we even ask the kids early on. What makes 
your you feel like you come alive Mm -hmm. you know what really brings joy to your soul and believe it or not a 10 and an eight-year-old they can answer that question they'll sit and think about it for a minute now the five-year-old i mean it's watching tv playing video i mean no not that kind like what really when do you feel closest to jesus and when do you feel most rested And so we've been able to take some of those answers, even from our kids, and at times say, why don't you go and do this? Because I know that brings you rest. And they are resistant, just like we are. Mm -hmm. We don't naturally gravitate towards what brings us rest. Um, But then once they do it, my 10-year-old particular, when I say, now, how do you feel now? And he's like, you know, Mom, I hate admitting it, but I do feel more rested. I'm like, I know. We just have to know what those things are. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that idea of discovering what your kids, I mean, because we're their shepherds. And so finding out what brings them rest, teaching them to pursue that, because once they realize that pushing through that initial resistance will get them to a place of feeling better, then they can start to cultivate that discipline of pushing through, you know, then they'll know that, sure, that does give me rest, even when I don't in the moment think that it will. Yeah, well, and they'll hold you accountable, too, because, I mean, my daughter sometimes will be like, Mom, are you really resting? I think you're oh, working. Oh, right? <laughs> but, you're I mean, like, it's well, it's a, fine, it's a fine line. <laughs> it's a fancy, because, I mean, sometimes I have to look and say, you know what? You're right. I'm feeling like I'm not going to get things done, and it's, you know, 11 o'clock, so I'm going to get up and start doing this. It, it's good. It's good for all of us to be aware of what it is. And sometimes, you know, I'll have to have a conversation of, Okay, let's let's talk about like what rest is, Pharisees, da 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 da. But again, it's it's even cultivating a conversation with your family about things like this is so valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I would encourage anyone to just give it a try. Well, I I definitely love this. I I'm I'm already trying to think of how and when we can make this conversation happen. I love it. So yeah. Well, thank you for, thanks for all of this. This has been such a good conversation. And um, I just, can you just let our listeners know where they can find you online and on social media where you like to hang out? Absolutely. Um, I love to hang out on Instagram. It's Grace Enough Podcast underscore Amber. So you can find me there. Um, Probably like you, Jamie, if you listen to podcasts. We love it when people just pop by and say hello or, hey, I listened to this. And so you can find Grace Enough podcasts pretty much anywhere, Spotify, Amazon, Apple Podcasts, all the places. And so I would love for you to come over and even just say hello um, and give a little bit of feedback and connect with me. I love to connect with other women who are, you know, following Jesus and just trying to do this uh, thing, this Christian walk as best as we can. All right. Well, how can we be praying for you? I'm going to close us in prayer today. So how can we be praying for you? Yeah, you can just be praying uh, really that our family would continue to cultivate conversations that uh, lead towards just discussion of God's word and in his truth. And so that's, that's always the prayer of my heart. All right. Well, Amber, thank you for being here. And I will look forward to maybe having you on again. There's a lot of stuff that we could have talked about today that we didn't get to. So yeah, thank you. And thank you. Close in prayer. God, we just thank you for this time together. 
Thank you for Amber. Thank you for her message, for her voice, just for using her to draw people closer to you. And I just especially thank you for this message of gratitude and Sabbath and just this, this whole topic of how to transform our homes into places of rest and grace and worship. I just lift Amber up to you today, God, and just pray that you would protect her from any of the enemy's attempts to get a foothold in her efforts and um, just protect her from any discouragement. Um, I just pray that you would allow her to continue, for her family to continue this process of Sabbath and just growing closer to you. And we just ask that you would guide and direct their conversations back to Scripture just pray for, for Amber and her husband that they would draw closer and closer to you as they draw closer and closer together, that her kids, that each one of them would just retain or uh, would receive scripture and that it would just be planted and rooted deeply in their hearts, that they would come to know you at an early age, that they would walk in their faith and just continue to grow in the knowledge of you and your son, Jesus incrementally along their lives and, and just be used in mighty ways for your kingdom. We just pray that you would strengthen their family and bless them. Um, we pray over their health and their finances and their ministries and just that you would uh, open doors for Amber to reach people for the gospel and just to continue to do the work that you've started in her. We just thank you for this time together and, and just for your word and for that gift of Sabbath that you gave us through a commandment, Lord. We just thank you that, that you've given us that permission to rest and even that command to rest. And we just pray that we would continue in discovering more what that looks like for us individually and, and collectively as believers so that we can glorify you in that aspect of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a comment to let us know what questions or topics we can address in future shows. Then hop over to prayingchristianwomen.com slash journal to download your free prayer guide. We're so glad you joined us for today's show, and we wish you God's deepest blessings as you draw closer to Him and change the world one prayer at a time.